here with Fred Ramirez, and this is the Carrero Podcast. Today, our guest is Susan Kelly. She is a research scientist working at Fisher and Paykel Healthcare, investigating the mechanisms of molecular transport with a side sleep project. She has a chemical engineering degree and a PhD in biophysics. Her primary career focus since completing her undergraduate has been in healthcare and medical device development. Her PhD pinpointed her focus in this field to a more fundamental research linking physical properties and structures to biological function. As a student project, at the start of 2019, she was inspired to undertake a sleep research project after reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker during their summer break. The importance of sleep for memory, consolidation, and muscle memory really stuck out to her as she began to wonder how kids knew about the importance of sleep since those are the most formative years. She began looking into the New Zealand school curriculum to see what kids were being taught about sleep. She was surprised to see that very little was covered on sleep and its importance during health classes, even though it underpins much of our ability to perform and make good decisions. She wondered how she could get sleep education into the curriculum. Hi, hi Susan, and, and welcome, and thank you for, for being a part of this, and for for our audience, having you, Susan, will be both different and a and a treat, since since most of most of the guests that we have on are um, teachers or or future teachers. So so please tell us who who you are and what you do. Cool. Um, well, I guess I'm a, a potentially a future teacher. I guess everybody kind of is, but uh, at the moment I'm definitely not. Uh, so my name is Susan. And I live in Auckland, New Zealand, where I work as a clinical research scientist at a healthcare company where we make respiratory support devices. Awesome. So and and, and tell us about your about your life as a as a kindergarten through twelfth grade student. Um, what what teachers did you like? What what content did you like and why? kind of have a quite a varied background. So I grew up in Zimbabwe where I started my schooling at a convent, which as you can imagine is very wow. orderly and, stru- and structured. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then when we moved to New Zealand, uh, where I started at high school, uh, the teaching style again was very different and much more self-led. So there are parts of each style that I, I quite liked. And I guess having exposure to two quite different styles allowed me to solidify what I thought was the best way that I learned, which was very useful when I went to university where there was much more free reign and you kind of had to be more self-directed and understand how you operate. So um, yeah, that was my experience. Um, I can't think of any specific teachers that uh, sort of bolstered me along a path, but the overarching styles I think were quite unique and helped me along my way. Did you have a preference to the certain teaching philosophies or experiences in those different schools that you experienced? Um, Yeah, I mean, elements of both. And I guess what I took home from that is that everybody is quite different. And so having one teaching style for all is potentially not the best way Mm -hmm. to go about things. Um, But I mean, fortunate that I could see both and so I appreciated some elements of the structure and also appreciated elements of the self-led learning. Um, but 
yeah, I guess if you've only ever had one style and you didn't like it, then maybe at a disadvantage for enjoying learning things in the future. Yeah. Um, then walk us, walk us through your, your university life. Um, what did you major in? Why, why did you major in it? And what, what you wanted to, to do after that? Um, I actually, in hindsight, it seems obvious, but at the time I definitely <laughs> had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> uh, so I did a chemical engineering degree. Um, I, an engineering degree I think is a good foundation for any, um, just form of logic. So it teaches you basically how to problem solve. Um, and then just having a major means you know a lot more about one particular area, but, um, you know, with a problem solving toolkit, you can learn anything. And especially these days with the internet and all the information we have on hand, if you can, you know, tackle a big problem and break it down into little bits, and then that's how you learn something is you break it into little bits and then build on each bit that you've learned to then solve a a bigger problem so that was my undergraduate and then I uh, continued on to do a PhD um, which again was much more about self-directed learning and keeping yourself motivated and interested in a topic uh, which I mean the while the the topic of my thesis was interesting I think the self-development I got out of that um, process was much more valuable than uh, the publications or whatever came out of the PhD. It just gave me time to work out um, what interests me, what motivated me, and how I enjoyed to learn. That's, that sounds really good. Now, how, how long have you been in your current position at um, Fisher? Is it Paykel? Paykel, yeah. Okay. Um, and what do you do? So, I... I've been in my current role for um, just six months, and I look at mucosolary transport in the airways. So it's basically how mucus, um, how we clear mucus, um, and when that goes wrong, what happens, and how uh, our devices can help assist people who are quite sick. Okay. So do you have actual human subjects that you're studying, or is it more on the technology-based side? Uh, yeah, so we do clinical trials because you do need to, but mm -hmm. our device is quite a light version of a medical device, so we just um, humidify air for respiratory support, so it's, uh, it's not uh, too vigorous on animal testing or anything like that. It's quite a nice <laughs> yeah. support product. <laughs> well, well, now um, let's, get, let's get into the part where, where, um, you, where you and I met and, and we started to talk a little bit more. Can you share with us your, your involvement with, with schools and, and how this came about? Okay, so uh, my current job is quite different um, to the projects that I started. Um, so at the start of this year, um, I was reading the book Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which is a really great book. I've seen a few people mention it on social media and things. It, it truly is something most people should read because we all sleep but maybe we don't <laughs> understand why or why we should prioritize it um and so in reading that book uh there it touches on well quite heavily uh the memory consolidation and the muscle memory that you uh, solidify when you sleep and so that really stuck out to me 
and I wondered how many kids knew about the importance of sleep since during those years is when you learn the most and physically you learn the most, mentally you learn the most. And thinking back on my younger years, I was never taught about sleep, Mm -hmm. especially in our health ed classes. Never, you know, it was always about nutrition and exercise, but what underpins all of that is if you've been sleeping properly, then you should be able to make good decisions. Um, So then I wondered how we could get sleep into the curriculum here. And so I found a group called Southsight who um, support uh, science participatory platforms in the area around where the company where I work. And so um, Fisher and Paykel was already involved with the organization where they send out volunteers as mentors who provide technical assistance on projects that the schools have initiated. Uh, So I wondered if we could initiate a project because we have a sleep uh, division here who make sleep apnea devices, which is um, uh, when your airway collapses when you sleep, we make a device that helps to support that. And so we have a lot of uh, sleep knowledge here, which we thought, which I thought would be good to share with our community, especially children. And so um, to meet the requirements of Southside, who were going to give us some funding to buy some tracking watches, we just needed to incorporate more of a um, a STEM or science appeal. And so the program kind of uh, splintered into two, um, where we used the scientific method uh, to teach kids about sleep, where they would become uh, their own um, sleep researchers. And it kind of gave a twofold learning opportunity where we provided scientific method as a life tool uh, while teaching them the importance of sleep. What grade level are you working with? Sorry, what was that? What grade level were you working with? Oh, I don't know the grade, but these kids are probably 9 to 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so quite a a pivotal time in a kid's life where you're autonomous enough to say, okay, I'm going to go to bed now. Uh, But you're not in your teenage years where your hormones are all over the place. (laughs) Correct. It does change quite a bit. So Mm -hmm. getting a good foundation in there was kind of key. So by mid this year, uh, we had received some funding and went off to purchase some uh, sleep. Well, they just those activity monitoring watches. Oh, yeah. Which the kids got to monitor their sleep. And then they set off to work out, well, firstly, to learn about sleep and then to find an intervention that would help them with their um, sleep quality. So since they were doing uh, the scientific method, like each group used their own intervention? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every student came up with their own idea on how they could make their sleep better. And in a few cases, uh, some kids looked at how they could make their sleep worse. So drinking energy drinks and trying to sleep with the light <laughs> off, which fortunately was um, stopped quite early on. Good, but good. I mean, great because you know, somebody's got to do the, the tough science. So I just made sure that they shared it with everybody and then tried to find a positive intervention. But good on them for thinking that right. way. Um, so yeah, it was very self-led. So the kids had to get, well, it didn't have to, but I think they genuinely were quite curious in the topic because they all do it. And um, so that intervention was quite insightful for what they thought would be useful. You know, and, and the and the research you've been doing is 
is fascinating because at least here in the in the United States, um, a lot of schools are are looking at sleep, and they're and one of the things that they're looking at is whether whether or not they should start schools later. And so, what what outcomes have you have you found, and and how did your how did your students help out? Yeah, so I mean that is a good. Um... I mean, yeah, a direct effect of uh, teenage sleeping habits is that school time should be later. Uh, so this was just a pilot study. And so we hope to sort of extend the project to be um, nationwide so we can get a larger data pool. We also need to get IRB approval before we can consolidate any information. But uh, just at the pilot level, um, I guess we confirmed that there is a genuine like students do have a genuine curiosity in the world around them. And in this case, you know, sleep was of interest to them because we were a bit unsure of sleep as a topic since it's not tactile and something they can design. Um, uh, secondly, I guess the scientific method was a good thing to teach kids because it is a life tool. And so you can use it in all kinds of situations to make informed decisions. Um, but yeah, so the end goal for this program is for it to go nationwide so we can look at, you know, wider population data and see, I mean, in New Zealand, we have, I guess you guys have it too, daylight savings, where we shift the clock backwards and forwards an hour. We do. Um, and what effect this has on kids, you know, a week after that happens, you know, should mm -hmm. we be teaching them dense content at that time? Is it something that they can actually retain because their whole schedules have shifted um, I mean, you need, you need large sample volumes for that, but if we can intertwine it with teaching them about science while also collecting data from them for a wider population study, kind of got a twofold benefit, um, both for the kids and for, you know, the wider community to understand how sleep affects kids and how this leads to life outcomes. Wow. What were some of the example interventions that students used in your pilot study? Um, they were quite sweet. Um, some were yoga before bed. Wow. You know, just I guess the overarching theme was developing a, 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 a ritual before you go to sleep. So oh. some kids tried yeah, the half an hour of yoga before bed, meditative um, music or a guided meditation, so an app. Uh, the sleep sleepy tea. I don't know if you guys have that over there. Yeah. This tea marketed as being sleepy. Mm -hmm. um, um, tried exercise, so doing you know an hour or half an hour of bike riding or walking before bed. Oh. Uh, sleeping with the door open or closed, which is very specific to the environment, but yeah. it did actually have an effect. Interesting. Um, not trying to drink too many liquids before bed. Going to bed at regular times. Um, Wow. Yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah, that's interesting. And it seems like you'd have a lot of buy-in, as you mentioned, because the students all do it, and they probably are curious to share their results with each other as well. Yeah, yeah. And it was nice to see so many individual questions being asked because, I mean, some groups where they're all friends, they kind of did a similar thing, but variety of ideas was really cool mm -hmm. and it showed that the kids were actually interested in what they were doing because they brought up a, an intervention that they wanted to try to see what effect it had on their sleep so it was really yeah it was really cool to see yeah 
Now, now, how would you see schools using your using your your data, even though this was a this was a pilot study? Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, the end goal is that we can publish it as something that um, can be more of a resource for other schools to leverage off of. But uh, the idea was also that the kids would become sleep advocates in their community because for someone external to go into a household and tell parents or um, teenagers how to sleep is much less powerful than it coming from the kid itself. Correct. The kid themselves in, in the home. So um, that's, that was how kind of we saw the kids becoming sleep advocates and promoting sleep you know, within, amongst their peers, but also at home. Uh, also, that you know, it provided lots of opportunity for presentations during their school assemblies and parent evenings, which again promoted sleep. And just showing that the kids, you know, were curious about their surroundings and using the scientific method to work out problems and, um, yeah, test them. Yeah, I like that where you're creating researchers with these students at such a young age and giving them some exposure to all of the processes that go into conducting research and how to have a fair test and how to document the results and uh, and how to compare what an actual intervention might, how it might actually have an impact on, on the results. So I like that. That's a really fun project. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, well, now that I guess that that begs the next question: um, Do you do you recommend companies such as yours partnering with with different schools? And if and if so, and if so, what would schools need to know before creating a partnership? And what would schools need to also have have in place? So definitely, companies should get involved with schools. Um, we have it under our corporate responsibility umbrella, so wow. um, it's just giving back to our community. That's really good. Um, and so, I mean, having mentors from industry going into school is, is the best answer when kids ask, "Why do we need to learn this?" Because they provide <laughs> the link between, you know, what you learn in class and what a career looks like. Uh, hopefully, also. In doing that, the curriculum, the school curriculum, becomes more in line with real-world activities. So, uh, in this case, just getting um, you know that scientific method built in because it is so universal, uh, and we linked it together with what we do here at Fisher and Paykel. We showed the kids that we follow the scientific method as well when we test and design products. And so I think that really helps them to be like, ah, oh, you know, what I learn in science is actually what I could do for a job one day. Correct. And not just a science job either. We showed them, you know, different facets of the company that also use that logic. Uh, and while it's called the scientific method, it is sort of a decision-making process that we all do in life in general. Right. Well, and, and, um, I, well, and, and I, I'm thinking along, along with that, if, if companies are aligning with with schools and, and students are involved with with the actual research and and, and data, um, yeah. what what they may be finding too is that they're they're also in a in a position of power where where they could then change make like possibly school school policy. Um, yeah, um, I guess yeah. I I think more autonomy needs to put on the school to make. Uh, decisions on how they should teach their kids because changing policies and things maybe is too far removed from a classroom 
And so teachers being given um, more, uh, uh, not responsibility, but more, um, trying to think of the right word, uh, yeah, autonomy, I guess, in how to teach their kids would be, while it needs to be standardized somewhat, uh, treating teaching as a creative profession rather than just rope learning things is probably quite important. I think something I found with this project was just making clear the company's intentions because um, there's always a sort of why are you doing this and, and again that corporate responsibility needs to come through is it being genuine and not we're not um, invested in this for commercial reasons it's more for especially staff engagement I think that was a huge thing for me is that this is a really fun project that you get to you you get to pass on what you do each day to kids and you get a whole new insight in what you're doing because you need to make it um, understandable for them and it sort of underpins a lot of what you do and you don't think about doing but explaining it to someone else is quite quite empowering and definitely kept me interested in what I was doing. Yeah, I'm interested in this uh, that you've talked about as a uh, corporate requirement or maybe not requirement, but is that something that your company specifically has or is that something that many corporations in New Zealand do is to have that give back and that school connection with students? Um, I can't speak too broadly on this. I am, I'm, I've only really worked at Fisher & Paykel as a company. Um, but we are one of the larger companies in New Zealand, so I guess our because um, we just donate our time to the program. So our corporate responsibility is to give back to our community, and so we do that by mentoring and volunteering our time. Um, I think maybe being a large company, we have the luxury of uh, a bit more resource on that front. Yeah, I'm sure other companies do the same, but mm-hmm. um, I know our link with Southside, um, which is the science platform is quite unique and so yeah I don't know that it's a general requirement but Fish and Pike will definitely um, come to the party on that one. Yeah I like how you talked about it where students can really connect to what it is that they're doing in their classroom and how it connects to their future jobs if they want them in those areas and that's Mm. something that Fred and I are always trying to connect with other educators who are making these authentic, real learning experiences for their students. And, you know, we both train teachers, so we are always trying to encourage our future teachers or current teachers to be creating these meaningful experiences where, as you mentioned, it's not just rote memorization and sit and get information, but this experience that they've actually bought into that, you know, that they can feel the value in. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And that creativity element is huge. And understanding that students are individual mm-hmm, and how to get right. them curious in something is really, you know, an art, an art of teaching. Now, um, Susan, when, when we when we started this, you were you were talking about how um, that even though you're you're not a teacher by trade, you're you're definitely doing a lot of really, really great things that are that are in, engaging students. Um, so now, um, reflecting upon your research and the project, would you would you do things differently for next time? And then and then also, would you? Well, I, I guess the question is, would you want to do 
do something with yeah. with with students again? Yeah. So, um, I mean, to be honest, everything on this project went really well, and so I struggle to pick out any flaws without digging too deep. I mean, there's always things <laughs> that you would improve upon, but all in all, it. I mean, for a pilot program to go so well is indicative of something that really. Um, to take further yeah. um, so I mean probably when we plan to take the program to more schools and link in with universities and things so we can you know get more population data so we can understand how New Zealand kids sleep and how this links to their life outcomes <clears throat> I'm sure then there'll be uh, room for improvement but as far as the criteria for a pilot program I think we ticked all the boxes um, which may be naive, and I might eat my words, but <laughs> at the moment I'm feeling pretty good about it. Good. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like really valuable data that could be shared, you know, at a global level. And, mm. um, yeah, we, I mean, we as educators talk about how sleep is important, but your point in that it's not part of the curriculum or it's not being taught to students, I think, is really that missing link of the importance and then connecting it to data and experience is going to really make that sink in. As you mentioned earlier, if a student knows that if they drink an energy drink, you know, at five <laughs> o'clock in the afternoon, they're not going to yeah. sleep well. Like they will, it will be a better informed decision that they're making rather than just impulsive. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, well, one of our, what like one of the last things is uh you know because if i think it's i think it's good that um that you're coming out outside of the quote unquote education field um just yeah. because you know you know just because of everything that you're that that you are doing um how do you believe students should be taught or could be taught yeah so I'm really, like I said earlier, no expert here, but maybe naive eyes offer new insights. Um, but I guess the word taught is maybe one to to think of. Um, mm. So I guess there needs to be a mind shift for teachers teaching students or the students being taught rather to be teachers assisting learning. And so the key word is learning. So without learning, there's no education. And so, I mean, to assist learning, it comes down to getting students curious in a topic and thinking of teaching as a creative profession, which recognizes students are individuals. And so a more loose-reined curriculum, which intertwines all facets of education, so not just STEM or arts or humanities, but something that leverages off of all of them, because as people, we are all of them. Um, but you know, help, I think, get more students on board with, with learning stuff, because if you focus too heavily on math, science, English, and not think of them all together, then people are going to fall off the bandwagon, because treating them in isolation isn't necessarily how they work. Um, yeah, so, and we yeah. we try, like with Fred and I, we, we have a lot of guests on our podcast with who work in project and problem-based learning, and just the value of that cross-curricular content and learning. Because in life, we don't just sit down and do math, right? We do it applied to something, to our bills or, you know, to figure out mm -hmm. 
how much how many how many miles to gallon that we're getting in our vehicle or something like that. So yeah. they're all connected in in a yeah. cross curricular way where which is what I think you're you're saying here is yeah. a good way to inspire learning instead of just yeah. teaching. Taught, yeah. So yeah, because when I think back, all the teachers that taught me something didn't necessarily mean I learnt it, you know? Like unless <laughs> I had a, a use case or I applied it to something, that's when I really learned something. But if I just sat in the class and was taught, it just you know, sometimes it sinks in, sometimes you have a a glimmer of connection between a, a life activity and what you heard about in school, but until they become, like you said, problem-based learning, they they never kind of sink in. Yeah, and then just having that actual experience with it. Yeah, is key. Yeah. The final piece that we like to ask our guests is uh, we we coin it as our call to action, but. Uh, yeah. um, is there anything that you would like our listeners to take away to maybe try if they have their own classroom as a suggestion or, you know, we, we say call to action? Yeah. Um, I guess, well, giving the kids the, if you can find funding to get a class set of activity monitoring watches, and just use that for kids to guide their learning. So, you know, looking at their step count per day and then asking them, you know, how do you think you can improve it? Uh, if you improve it, what effects do you think it will have? And just letting them learn the scientific method through their own data, I think is, yeah. it, well, we've seen it's been really powerful and kids inevitably will be curious in that stuff because they can see um, how it links to their life and understanding how they can make their lives better or just by changes that they can make by themselves is really empowering and it also helps them learn good decision making and that cross-curricular problem solving. Yeah, I like that because there are so many different curriculum areas that can be connected with activity monitors and they are so affordable now that Donors choose could probably buy a classroom set or, (laughs) you know, you could probably a friend of mine. She's always upgrading to the newer model. So she's got like three of them in her drawer that she could probably just donate to some (laughs) some kids. Yeah, yeah, um, I like that. That's a good way to incorporate math, even the health, you know, area, the PE area, science. It's a really uh, interesting way to get students involved and make them become researchers. That's a good tip. Thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> so uh, that that's all we have. So thank you so much for joining us today. I loved learning about your research and how you're connecting with students. Thanks for your work with students and uh, your connection to the world and how to make mm-hmm. kids more productive by getting the right amount of sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Susan. It's our pleasure. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you would like to get in contact with Susan, she can be found on LinkedIn. Her name is spelled S-U-S-Y-N Kelly. And if you would like to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we are edX Global. And if you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or a guest, please reach out to us there. As well, if you are interested in writing for our journal, 
please get into contact with us and share all the great things that you are doing with your students or in the research world.